This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello, I'm Christopher Page, a partner in the Landed Estates and Agriculture team at Charles Russell Speechley's. We are a firm who for many years have been committed to supporting our clients to do well by doing good, particularly in the Landed Estates world, where we've worked with some estates over many generations and where the idea of stewardship and passing on the estate to the future in a better state has been very much part of our firm policy, our firm, firm genetics. We're a responsible business and in a world where the principles of ESG are increasingly coming to the fore, that is to say the environmental, social justice and governance issues. We work closely with our clients in tackling these issues positively, not just because we have to, but because we want to, and we know they want to as well. Through our clients and ourselves, we wish genuinely to achieve a better future for all. And we're therefore very proud that Pempont is a client of the firm for reasons that you'll soon hear. The Pempont Estates and the Hogg family have been clients of the firm for many years, for a generation. I'm a trustee of the estate and we provide legal and general advice as required. And we're, able, we're delighted to be able to present a podcast showing off some of the work that they have been doing in which we have had a minor involvement. So can I now ask Gavin and Forrest to introduce themselves? Hello, everyone. Hello, Christopher. Thank you very much for inviting us to be part of this podcast. Uh, my name's Gavin Hogg, and I am part of the family who have lived at Pempont for 360 years now. Um, we've been here for 30 years and um, came with limited knowledge on land management and agriculture. My background was in forestry and arboriculture. And um, we had to hit the ground running and pick up the management and the restoration of the estate and the estate buildings and learn um, from the ground up. It's been uh, a fantastic privileged career and um, a very rewarding one. And it continues to excite me, the new futures of which we will talk about unfolding at the current times. I think there are a lot of opportunities for change and we need to change. And one of the most exciting things is that our two sons have now returned home and are taking over um, some aspects of these change that will now unfold in the next generation. So I'll hand you over to Forrest to introduce himself. Hi there, my name is Forrest and um, yeah, I'm Gavin's son. Um, and I live here uh, alongside my brother, Josh. Um, and yeah, I've been privileged to grow up at Pempont uh, since the age of four. Um, and yeah, recently returned to the area to get stuck into um, a wide variety of projects here on the estate and slightly further afield. Would it be an idea just to explain to everyone what Pempont consists of before we dive into the project? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so Pempont is, um, it's a 2,000 acre um, rural estate that's based in the Brecon Beacons National Park. It's um, four miles due west of Brecon. It is uh, divided by the River Usk, which is an SAC, an area of special, special conservation. Um, and uh, uh, 
it is out of the 2000 acres, we have about 200 acres of forestry and 1800 acres of uh, pasture. Um, there are six tenant farms um, and uh, some short-term grazing, um, most of which go to the tenant farms. Um, when we first came here 30 years ago, there were 10 tenant farms, some of them still very small, um, and that proved to be unviable back then. Um, and um, so as and when farmers retired, we gave out land, let land to make the existing units more viable. Um, at the core of the estate is a grade one listed mansion and a, a unique range of uh, buildings that are all listed and um, set within a historic landscape. Um, and we base a tourism business from the main house, uh, self-catering um, within a wing of the house. We do wedding, wedding business and conferences within the old stables. And uh, we run a small campsite. And within the walled gardens, we've grown organic veg for the last 25 years. And we have a small farm shop on site and we provide uh, local, um, the local community with um, organic vegetables, fruit and flowers. Um, simply, that's what Penpont is, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess that um, it would be fair to say that under your stewardship, you had a lot to do, as we say, tidying up the, the woods and the park and making good use of the house and the outbuildings, uh, concentrating perhaps on the, on the non-farming side, where you largely let farm. But then, I'm sure it wasn't overnight, but I can remember within the course of 12 months, there was a sudden shift of emphasis, and I suspect it was the return or imminent return of the two boys that got everyone thinking, you know, about your future gamin, being aware you were going to live, how you fitted in in the next, you know, the next phase of your life, and how we were going to make room for and use the energy and ideas of the next generation. And I, and I remember very clearly that that um, presentation you made writing first, how exciting it was that there was a complete review in the literal sense, looking again at how the estate was to be operating over the next few years, next generation, what it was for, what its purpose is, and so on. So uh, what, am I right that actually it was really that injection in the next generation that made you, you think again? Custody of these wonderful old estates is a privilege and or a millstone around one's neck. And when you invest your life's work into um, a, pr a property in an estate, um, it's uh, heartwarming to know that the next generation appears back on the horizon and says, we're interested, we'd like, we'd like to continue this on. And that seems to validate all the things that we have done in our lives working here. Um, and uh, it sort of, I suppose, secures the legacy of one's life's work. Um, but also it's very important that for Vina and I, my wife and I, we must now learn to um, step back and allow the ideas of the next generation to come into fruition and not, not to suppress those ideas. Um, 
and because um, when we arrived there was there was no one we walked into an empty mansion um, house needing a 200 year service and um, uh, there was no one really guiding us saying you can't do that or you can do that and there were a few sort of dark clouds on the horizon um, but uh, uh, we sort of had a free hand and also we didn't have a past we didn't have a kind of leg uh, a background of knowing what we should do or what we couldn't do so we were completely sort of um, you know green behind the ears if that's the right uh, expression very wide but, but therefore i think not constricted and open-minded and forward thinking you know? yeah we weren't constrained by boundaries um and uh also probably society's boundaries that you know and it was quite uh, it was because i think we were you know we came from england arriving into a mid wales valley um and um because we were part of the family the local uh, estate tenants and uh, farmers embraced us and were incredibly supportive um, for our presence and it um, they welcomed us and they helped us and have showed us the ropes and now that continues as the, the next generation of farmers come onto the estate um, they are now the people that we are working with um, on the projects that we're about to talk about. So one year, Forrest, you were in darkest Congo on a conservation project. And the following year, I think, roughly speaking, I was invited to the launch of the Pempod project. So something pretty amazing happened in between. So maybe we can now turn to you. So I worked in a national park in Northern Republic of Congo um, doing logistics and operations management um, the last five years. And um, my kind of dream was always to manage a, a national park and be in these wilderness areas and i remember distinctly one day getting up and walking around this the um the park base with a big keychain of keys opening garages workshops speaking to mechanics and uh i realized that this is probably what gavin's doing this morning over in Pempon, and actually i have an opportunity to to fulfill that dream at home um and yeah, um, after, after, after three or four years, um, uh, family, friends, connection to place, sense of place. Um, well, I could speak a bit of French, but um, <laughs> just communication. And uh, yeah, so various things aligned, constellations aligned, and um, I, I'm, I moved back and just had a slight career change, I guess, um, turning 30, coming back to Wales, and um, one of the things that was on the horizon was um, a very good friend of mine uh, called Hendrikus van Hensbergen um, started a charity about six years ago called Action for Conservation. And I'd been involved um, to a minor degree in its inception and went on various conservation camps. And um, his, his charity's remit is all about engaging and empowering young people to take action for the environment and within their communities. And um, through their programs, they saw a great wellspring of ideas and fresh creativity from um, the sort of GCSE age group, which are often a forgotten age group of during the educational ladder, um, particularly when it comes to in things like climate change and 
um, in the environment, maybe less so now, thanks to Greta. But um, And um, he just saw uh, with Gavin um, and Vina and Pempont a great opportunity to maybe um, provide a space um, for young people to be directly involved in land management issues and start to grapple with some of the issues that we grapple with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think um, many people who are landowners or who have a vested interest in how the environment should work um, uh, have. So, um, so yeah, these various things um, kind of aligned and um, I think it's about two years now since I came back. So it's been a good journey and um, yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 I would say also that um, Gavin and Vina, um, I, I'm inspired by their energy um, and I think they've got plenty of years left in them. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm very much uh, coming in behind and following that energy and um, continual inspiration. So, yeah. Yeah, the next 300 years. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a bit now about the, the detail of, of the project and how, how it's formed, what its aims are. Um, I know you've had a you know, difficult time with COVID, but you know, how, how you're getting the youth leaders involved still and the tenant farmer and, and what the actual plans are and the sort of timescales you've got in mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so the Pempon project, as we're calling it, um, there's several projects here, but the Pempon project is specifically one that we're partnering with Action for Conservation and this extraordinary group of young people from across the UK and, and locally as well. Um, together, we formed a partnership um, with um, these young people and the charity, and we are working also with a tenant far farmer family, farming family uh, on a 200 acre block um, of the estate, which is the old parklands, um, and also a large forestry and amenity woodland running alongside. So this is our kind of intervention zone, so to speak, within the estate where together we have kind of shared, shared governance and responsibility for its future. Um, so we've been on a bit of a process um, with, with the partnership with the young people. Um, I think they've made about five residential visits to Pempon um, where they stay on site. Um, we conduct a range of activities to build their knowledge and expertise up, bringing in uh, ecologists, uh, regenerative farmers to talk to them and build plans. And excitingly, we are also now working alongside the Gaia Foundation, which is another charity um, that looks at other knowledge streams alongside science so they work in, in the indigenous south and the arctic realm and they are looking at uh, Pempon as a bit of a UK flagship project for their for their, the way they work so we delved into um, as a process as a project process we're looking at the past present and future to understand the the, the transformations of the land and the way people have related to it over, over the centuries. So we've worked with historians as well, bringing that to life and people that have lived here um, long before mum and dad even. So people that have lived on the estate for um, since, the, since the 50s um, to see how um, various external forces as well as internal forces have shaped the land. Um, and yes, there's been a story of degradation, particularly since the Second World War, 
but I think um, we're trying to unlock the idea that um, we are, like you say, Chris, Christopher Stewart's, and we have agency over um, how we interact with the land and how it is shaped. Um, so trying to take a, a, a partnership approach also with the land rather than a, a kind of the prevailing, um, you know, relationship that we've had with nature since the Industrial Revolution uh, and trying to try to reconfigure our minds um, and the way we look at things. So, um, I mean, that's very waffly, but basically what we're trying to do is restore biodiversity, um, ecosystem processes, natural processes to this 400 acre block um, using practices that are both old and new. So looking at restoring wildflower meadows, looking at um, some emerging regenerative agricultural uh, practices and uh, particularly in the forestry, um, transitioning to continuous cover forestry methods rather than um, patch clear felling that you see um, across 90% of um, UK's uh, forestry. So it's a nice practical element and we're trying to be quite evidence-based as well. So we've got um, a good baseline data set that we've collected since the project began. And uh, we're just getting to that interesting point where we've done some future visioning mapping with the kids and the, um, the farmers and the foresters. And we've kind of looked 60 years down the line, what we would like to see here, what we would like to sense and feel at Pempont. Uh, and now we're kind of in that interesting point of looking at pathways to that vision. It will change, no one can predict the future, but the idea is that um, we have a strong sense of um, what trajectory we'd like to go in. Um, and now we have the um, rather challenging uh, task of putting it into a business plan, Christopher, which we'll uh, probably be knocking on your door about. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, Boris. That wasn't at all waffly, but just trying to pull it apart a little bit. Um, to me, one of the great challenges was going to be bringing in the farm tenants, because there's a sort of presumption out there still that the sorts of project that you're talking about, the regeneration or the reversal and degradation, is in some way contradiction, contradictory to good farming practice or production of food, if you like. And getting the Davises on board was, was the absolute key. And I know that the, the kids, as you call them, are already picking up on the fact that whilst they may have come in conservation and restoration, actually the key to that is this collaboration with people that know the land best. So just, just talk us through how you've managed to bring them into partnership as you as you describe it. Uh, well, it all started with Isabel, Isabella Tree's book, Wilding, um, which was probably now three years ago, three, four years ago, that the book was published. Um, and um, it, didn't, it inspired me. It was well written. It was, had very good... Um, data behind it um, and it was following that that I started conversation with Hendrikas and Action for Conservation and that was the key that kind of unlocked the collaboration between Pempont and Action for Conservation and I always remember um, um, I then bought about three or four copies of Wilding and um, called the Davis family and asked if I could uh, come and have a meeting with them to discuss the parks, the parkland and um, a future idea. And um, I went up to the farm one afternoon and they'd 
had made tea and we sat around the table and I gave them a copy of the book and um, um, started to discuss um, the concept of going Re, of rewilding, I suppose. It's quite an emotive word, rewilding, and it's maybe something we'll talk about later. But, you know, I think for us, it's the wrong word of what we're trying to do anyway, because we don't want to introduce wolves and bears. We have to recognize that this, this island is too crowded for them. Um, but uh, so, yeah, back to tea with the Davises. And um, there was just one of those wonderful conversations that started to unfold. Um, and uh, it was obviously a very challenging concept for them. Um, uh, they're very proud stockmen. They've been on the estate for generations and um, their farming practices have been um, led by um, European funding and um, the current BPS schemes and all the other agricultural schemes that uh, are around or fading now. Um, so this was challenging for them. Uh, anyway, I left the table, the book on the table and said, you must read it and um, we, will, we will talk further. And as is the way around in these parts, things happen slowly and in a rather beautiful sort of natural organic way. Um, and uh, I think there were a number of conversations over field gates and sitting beside quad bikes in various parts of the estate and ideas were being exchanged. And, um, and then after about eight months, uh, I think I bumped into either Sally or Gareth and they basically said they were on board and they'd like to give it a go. Um, so that was a kind of lovely process of unfolding and it was a sort of magical moment. We knew actually we had a project and we had, the, we had a, a block of land that we can now start working forward with Action for Conservation and with the tenant farmers. Um, it's a challenging relationship because we fully recognise the commercial liability that they face and they're proud people um, and they're honourable people and they know that they have to meet the rental demands put upon them as a, a you know from the estate um and uh but maybe this will give a, a a new opportunity of how we can look upon landlord tenant relationship maybe it's time to start reviewing that process and looking at joint venture schemes um or how we can break down yeah the old past systems and look forward to the new yeah i mean talking talking from the lawyer's point of view that you know that's really intriguing because we've, in my working life, we've gone from secure tenants, this old agriculture holding back tenancy, such as the Davis family, where even though on the face of it, they were only secure year by year, in reality, they had statutory security. And in 1995, in their wisdom, those were phased out and we went to the farm business tenancy regime, which basically a simple contract, no security at all, often very short term, huge fiscal incentives were given to landlords to enter into those agreements. So the whole of public policy was shifting against long-term view. And that, you've got to remember that's only 25 years ago, but it is a whole generation of farmers who've been operating, the really good farmers, have been operating on very short-term agreements. 
and the landlords have been maximizing their return from those sorts of agreements rather than entering into long-term agreements where they know that with a symbiosis with a, a common alignment of aims where the tenant is happy to invest. And it seems to me that you know, if, if, if we're to change the subsidy schemes to encourage long-term investment in the environment and regeneration and so on, we've got to change the land ownership market. Public policy is, is at the moment, I think, conflicted in the sense that you've got a change in the support schemes, environmental land management schemes, sustainable farming incentives and so on, and yet we haven't yet seen a change either in the tax or the land ownership and occupation arrangements. So I think in some ways, I see Pempont and a couple of other estates where we've got similar moves in foot as, as guinea pigs, I'm afraid, where we, we need to talk to you, we need to talk to the Davises, we need to talk to the funders about how we can set up arrangements which are going to suit the family, the trust, the conservation investors, if you like, so, so that we, we don't have to have, a, a, say, an annual or a five-yearly review of these things, because that would be very contradictory to your long-term project plans, I assume. And I don't know, you know, whether the Davises have that sort of thing in mind, you know, whether some of your ideas, planting or rewilding in the loose sense, are actually contradictory to them. You're having to come to ad hoc arrangements, whether it's in terms of rent or in terms of um, joint investment. This is all... Uh, things that we will have to discuss in the future. As yet in Wales, um, the sustainable farm system scheme or whatever it's going to be called has yet to be uh, finalised and published and come into uh, play. So everyone here in Wales is sort of in limbo, wondering what's going to happen. It's been in the document's been in consultation for about the last three years, and it is going to be quite similar to ELMS, um, the environmental land management scheme that you have in England, um, and it will relate to public good services, and that's how um, the farmers and land owners and land managers will retain their subsidy. Um, so we have to develop a relationship between um, Gareth and Sally um, about if if Action for Conservation and the Penpont Project are going to um, better the land, um, then uh, they will hopefully gain good subsidy. Um, we have to look at who's going to pay for those improvements, um, but they most improvements within a biodiversity um, realm result in them having to lower their stocking rates, um, uh, their controlling their grazing habits and how they're going to um, manage all that in a, in a farm system that they have rotated around their fields and their the two farms that they tenant from the estate um, for the last, you know, 30, well, three generations actually. So we're having to ask them to redesign their whole systems to allow this new nature-friendly farming to take place on this 400 acres of land. And, and how much help for us are, are they getting as opposed to the pure conservation side where there seems to be a huge amount of expertise and experts and consultants and so on? How much help is there already for real farmers, if I could call them that, 
to try to do this rearranging that Gavin was describing? I don't know exactly how much help there is outside of being in uh, a unique situation like we're in or they are in with us. Um, but I know that through the project, for example, um, we've managed to get regenerative farmers, um, ecologists, um, various people with specific land-based expertise to come onto site and speak with them and walk around the land with us, with the farmers, and point things out. And, um, and that's a process, and there's various viewpoints along the way. Um, alongside bringing people onto site, we know that we've also managed to get off site despite the restrictions, and we've been to um, various um, pioneering projects around the UK, including um, Nepa State, which um, Gavin mentioned earlier, and that's also been with the tenant farmers. So I think, I mean, I would say that dialogue is, is key, nothing happens without dialogue, and then exposure. And I think that um, privilege comes in many forms, but one, one is well, exposure to new ideas. So through the project, I hope that we are, 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 are gaining a new exposure to all these different ideas that are happening, cropping up around um, the UK. And my, my concern is that maybe the, the average hill farm in Wales doesn't have access to that exposure. And that's something that I think this project will help. That's sort of, that's sort of what I was getting we've got a lot of press about climate change and the negative impacts of, of modern farming on that and actually a lot of bad press for farms so a lot of farmers are feeling under under the cosh you know the whole business about the production and eating of meat and, and so on and, that, and then you've got coming in from the other side you've got the agriculture act and the youth schemes and the loss of subsidies uh, and there's this gap in between and i have this vision as you say of these poor farmers sitting there hardly daring to go out because they're going to be vilified and yet not having either the expertise or the education or indeed the availability to enable them to move forward positively. And I think it's a negative, I think there's a, a, a negative feedback loop which you alluded to where I think farmers have struggled to look beyond their farm gate and Sally will, uh, will has said that to me, um, to look beyond the farm gate, you know, we're so locked into the day-to-day -day, um, and making meeting the end of the month's bills and all the finances and everything um, and then the external news and the media and how that all feeds in um, can kind of further close the gate as it were so yeah I think there's a really big challenge um, to, to, to join up thinking and um, for farmers to work together and there's lots of great examples emerging farm cl farm clusters um, and I think some of the new subsidy schemes will be rewarding and incentivizing farmers to work with their neighbours more. Um, there's things called like the fabulous farmers, farmers um, working to do nature friendly uh, networks that are working to be more nature friendly um, funded through the Soil Association and various pots of money. Um, so yeah I yeah, I think it's, I think there is an exciting time to be in agriculture, but I think it kind of depends where you're sitting. And um, I guess it's also on, it's either on the, the edge of a precipice or, or 
the, the, the base camp of a great summit. I, I, you know, it, it will be interesting seeing, to see how it goes over the next six years. But I, my fear is that a lot of these smaller Welsh hill farmers will really struggle and um, they need public support and backing to really um, help, help build resilience against climate change and all these other issues we're facing. So I don't know what the answer is really. Well, there's a massive, a massive interest. I mean, obviously, I mean, I remember from the launch day, you you are of great interest to all sorts of, well, very interesting people, but in terms of the mainstream, so for example, the Welsh NFU or CLA, are, are they showing interest and support for, for what you're, you are doing? Well, the CLA is um, more and more so, there are more sort of podcasts and Zoom conferences lending them, veering towards regenerative agriculture more and more. Um, change is being embraced. Whether it's subsidies that are forcing the chain change or whether it is uh, conscience, you know, the last two years, we have seen such dramatic environmental change. Um, with the climate, with the climate, um, with wildfires, with temperature increases, you know, you, all you've got to do is open your paper and it's scary. And we, we do need to make um, change very quickly. Yes, yeah, so it moves from co commercial, possibly through conscience, but actually to an imperative. Yes, yeah. But there is also, we need to grow food. Um, and maybe we need to change our diets and eat a better quality of food. Um, and there's that immense subject about the quality of food, the nutrient value of food uh, and the cost of food and then resulting human health and how that all ties together. Yeah, and I, I was going to come on to that because I know in the past we've talked about branding Penpont. So, you know, get, getting all your Penpont farms together to produce some sort of a quality assurance, if you like, for their lamb production particularly. Yeah. And whether as part of the project for us, there's an idea that you, you may be able to show that this sort of farming, the Davis's sort of farming under your project, actually does produce something which is qualitatively better. So even though the, even though the sort of the headage may drop, what is actually being produced in terms of health wealth is better and, and whether in any sense there's a hope that that is something that you might be able to horrible word monetize in other words they should be paid more for their land yeah exactly i think that's um definitely something we're looking into um adding a premium to to the the, the products that we're producing through the scheme um we already have a wonderful farm shop on site um selling fed from the market garden how can we expand the range of products and, and, and build on that existing customer base and um yeah i i mean it i think we have to look at that and i i think you use the word qualitative and i think um more and more so um we're entering an age where products need to have a story behind them as well and people want to buy into those regenerative stories um and, it, and I think Penpont has a, a wonderful um, story to tell around that, around these products that we're producing. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely would love to see that happening here more.
And do you think your your the kids as you call them? Uh, young people. We should call them young people. <laughs> the, the, the young leaders, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Who I thought were you know, so impressive at that launch. But I suddenly had the impression that most of them had originally been attracted by the pure conservation and restoration aspect. But am I, would I be right in guessing that having worked with Mally and Gareth, they will, they will go back to Bristol, Cambridge, Northampton, wherever they come from, um, as ambassadors for the better quality food that's coming out. It's not just that you like the tree planting and the wildflower meadows, but the, the broader picture. So that actually they go back to the urban environment, which is you know is one of the great issues of modern age, is this complete break between nature and you like normal life that I would call abnormal life. There's people living buying things off the shelf, they've got absolutely no idea where it's come from. And you know, and is is this another you know, benefit of your project is that you can break that vicious catch twenty two. Yeah, I, I, I guess um, of the twenty five young people, about fifteen of them come from all corners of the UK, um, and a lot, many of them from urban areas. And we've just recently brought on um, some local uh, young people. Um, so yeah, I do like to think of them as agents of change, going out into the wider landscape and influencing the adults that might be in their lives, their peers. Um, a lot of them are great advocates for change as well. And I think um, some of them have been involved in, you know, looking at air quality uh, in their local boroughs or uh, changing the way the schools work and think around uh, food and whatever the canteen might be selling or whatever the vending machines might be selling. So there's a great portfolio of change um, AFC continues to support those um, those projects as well through their ambas ambassadors program. So, yeah, and then just to speak to um, you mentioned about coming into the project, looking at conservation and, and and probably that being the driving motivator and the climate change issues and the breakdown of the the our eco ecological states. Um, yes, and. And actually working with Sally and Gareth and, and looking at how food is produced and going into the wall garden and seeing what Vina's doing there with Tara, um, organically producing vegetables. Um, definitely the food production side has, has garnered a lot of interest. And I thought, I mean, I thought they would be the, the, the radical voice in the room um, initially. Uh, my preconceived ideas that they would be bringing the very radical uh, conservation ideas to the table. Um, and actually what we've learned over time is they've become quite good mediators um, and they actually take quite a centre position on a lot of the debates, which is great. Um, and yeah, so I think they're very, very aware of the power dynamics uh, between the partners and where Sally and Gareth are coming from and where uh, Gavin and Vina are coming from and I think it's just a fascinating kind of stakeholder situation that they're involved in and um, yes they do want beavers but they also want um, you know Sally and Gareth to continue to produce food and be a big part of the journey so I think, I think the other I mean again parking back to the launch tape which they the young leaders very much led but what they, I mean, they obviously they bring youth, and you know, you get this sense of urgency and immediacy. 
but then you put them alongside Sally and Gareth or indeed Lena and her mother and you know, the fact that they've been here for 300 years and the fact that it actually takes quite a long time for a tree to grow or for soil to improve or even actually to change you know from diesel to something else you know, all, all these things whether it's technological change or, or environmental change it's not going to happen tomorrow and so i'd be fascinated to hear what they see 60 years time penpon being and whether actually they've learned from you that you do have to look in the 50 60 year horizon and you know getting to carbon zero in no time at all actually is not going to happen it's, it's a longer game sadly yeah i think they're very well aware of that and i think our process of looking at the past present and future and moving through these different realms has, has kind of built this sense of long-term thinking in a crisis of short-term thinking that we have at the moment as you alluded to earlier um, so they have mapped this 60-year future and we're very well very happy to uh, give you give you a look of that when you're next here christopher um, it's a map about the size of this room with an incredible amount of detail from um, various different you know from electric car charging ports at the front of the house to um, uh, a kind of social enterprise scheme that's around food processing through to um, maybe reintroducing beavers up into the, the, the wild top of the parks where the lake is um, through to um, regenerative farming and, and, and forestry. So, so they, ha they have been on a, a journey learning about all these different approaches and emerging pro approaches over the last year, um, which I've been involved in. So yeah, I think the, the building an exciting future is, um, is really key. And the key thing about the, this mapping process is that everything that gets marked onto the map is like a collective mandate. So only if everyone agrees that this should go on to the collective future, it goes on. So Sally and Gareth are very much a part of that mapping process. So, so it was very interesting to see how that played out, particularly on the land that they manage. Um, and I think Gavin and I are always uh, amazed by the process. We always go into it thinking, oh, are we going to be, is there going to be enough change on the map? Is there, is it, are we going to see them shift? And they always surprise us. So I think that's testament to the process and not already having a preconceived idea of what that vision is, um, actually allowing things to organically emerge. And I think that's probably been the story of Pempont since Gavin and Vina arrived. And also it's a nicer way to live, isn't it? If you if you already have an idea of what you want and no one can predict the future, then you're kind of, it's not great for well-being, is it? So to, to, to surrender to the unknown to a degree is probably a better way of going, um, just personally. So yeah, taking taking your hands off the, the reins a little bit and allowing others to contribute. And, and all of that, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the environment, obviously, and the social impact. And I think what you've just been talking about is governance. And I think that I think that the whole governance piece actually is at the root of the, you know, the contradictions again within what we're trying to do. You know, you've got short-term policies, politicians worrying about the next election, We've got different sovereignties fighting with each other. You know, we've got too much water in the north and not enough water in the south. All, all those sorts of contradictions, which 
without the sort of governance that you're talking about, we're not going to solve this global issue. There's a lovely book that we, we gave out to everyone when they were last here a couple of weeks ago, and we actually had the author gave, gave us a, a video um, call, a guy called Roman Krasnick, and he wrote a book called The Good Ancestor, and the sort of the tag is how to be a good ancestor, and it's this a remedy for the, the crisis that we're in short-term thinking. Um, so, yeah, I just thought I'd mention that because um, it's a really interesting book, and I think anyone who has it's a nice way to think about things sure you know you you plant trees for your grandchildren don't you and i think you know it's it um but maybe it's a good way of winding this up that you know we started off with 300 years of ownership and stewardship being the theme um we're all we're all in an evolutionary process and one of the things i find most exciting is that you've just is bringing in more people onto these landscapes. You know, we, we didn't just have monoculture, but we had sort of mono ownership structures. You, know, you weren't the eldest son, basically, you were out. And that, and that was remarkably restrictive and totally undeserved. You, know, you get this sort of narrow thinking, very short term thinking, everybody needs the same agricultural policy, probably the same school. And actually bringing in the sort of people that you brought into the Pentagon project. Has blown it open. You know, suddenly you've got a, a vision for a future which um, uh, you know is is way beyond anything that might have been anticipated 25 years ago, even by you, Gavin. And then you came into it with a very fresh approach. So I think you know, for, for all of that, um, you know, as, as I say, you are the sort of client that we we're very proud to be working with and contributing to. And I hope that we can always tap into. Equally, we have 260 something years of experience working with a place like you. Um, so it's, it's always a great joy to come over. I'm sorry that last year's trustees meeting had to be deferred for obvious reasons. Is it fair for me to wrap up with a final question, namely, will Pentom, the Pentom project, be represented at COP26 in Glasgow? And whether or not, what would the project be saying to the gathered people up there? Well, I think I'm right. In thinking that some of our ambassadors through AFC will be at COP26. Um, so um, I'll be interested to see what they say, Christopher, but um, I hope they speak to um, the need for an intergenerational roadmap for a kind of greener um, and fairer future. Um, and I think um, some of the key themes that will come from that will be looking at regenerating soils and land through sustainable agriculture, um, taking a slightly bolder and braver approach to um, conservation um, and uh, our biodiversity here. And I guess um, more Pempon projects springing up across uh, across the, uh, the UK. And I was just last this week up in um, the Yorkshire Dales uh, with another youth-led um, environmental projects looking to restore um, blanket bog and moorland over a 300 acre um, swathe up in the dales and so yeah I think young people I, I hope more and more adults see that young people do have um, something vital to contribute to um, uh, building a better future. It's an exciting future and there's a lot of uh, our 
expert ecologists have said when they come visiting here, if you make space for nature, nature will arrive. It does recover. Um, if we continue to desecrate it and continue to drive it to the edge of its productivity, it will die. And along with it, we will too. We have to do it, we have to change. We have to start respecting the planet that we live on. Um, uh, COP26 is really important. It's gonna look at climate change. Um, we can see the effects of climate change. Two, three years ago, it was just something mythical that people talked about. But now look at the news every day, big fires, extreme temperatures, big floods all around the world. It's going to have a massive, massive impact and we have to make change. And I hope what we're doing here at the Pempont Project could be heralded as a, some sort of key uh, exemplar project that people can learn from. And we have to look long-term. Um, we have to invest back into the land and create the habitat, the biodiversity by which we can all survive. Well, thank you both very much indeed. Well, thank you for inviting us to be part of it. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.